Evening, evening, everybody. This is Harriet from the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where I discuss music over a glass of wine. Tonight I'm drinking, um, this is different. This is called Summer Water. It's basically a um, light rosé. So I'm drinking something light tonight. So um, I want to welcome everybody to this chilly Saturday evening. It's been chilly for the past, what, two days? This is supposed to be like the end of May. It's supposed to be kind of warming up. It was warm like uh, near 90, like beginning of the week. Now we're in our jackets again. I hope I don't get sick. I doubt it because I've been inside most of the time. But anyway, um, welcome to Saturday's podcast. Usually I um, upload on Friday nights, but once again, I was kind of uh, late in um, doing my content for um, tonight. So I wanted to make sure I take an extra night and get it done. Plus, I'm taking um, classes online, so I'm, I'm doing a little bit of uh, everything. So um I hope everybody's feeling pretty good. Um, I'm feeling okay. I've been all day while I'm writing, was writing for this um, tonight's episode. I've been listening to some of the old blues artists on um, YouTube and I've just been, um, you know, I can appreciate it now. I, I, I didn't appreciate it when I was coming up, when I was growing up because my dad just, that was his song. I mean, he played the blues and that's all you heard. And I just didn't appreciate it. I mean, I listened to it and, you know, you just can't help but to, you know, recognize the songs and recognize the artists. But I really don't, didn't really appreciate it till, until I've gotten grown and start then start really digging into the background of a lot of these artists. So um, I, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it. All right. So without further ado, let's get started with tonight's episode, episode 11. We got one more blues artist episode for the more wine and um music uh podcast for season one um next week would be my uh last week for the um blues genre and then i'm gonna take a little break in between time and then i'm gonna um go into um a different type of genre of music all right but tonight's episode episode 11 i'm going to talk about miss memphis mini can you say that three times? Miss Memphis Minnie. <laughs> Memphis Minnie. Memphis Minnie was another female artist that was known as Queen of the Blues um, in, in her own right because uh, she made a, a big contribution as far as um, the blues genre in her day. So I um, wanted to talk about her and uh, here she goes. She was born Miss Lizzie Douglas. Now, how did you get Memphis Minnie from Lizzie? I don't know. But she was born in um, June on June 3rd, 1887 in the rural areas of Algiers, Louisiana, which is near the Mississippi River. She was the eldest. She was the oldest of 13 children. Once again, you know, how we are, we come from a big, large family down in the South that was built in farmhands. All those kids, I don't see how the parents did it, but having all those bunch of kids, I mean, um, all those, you know, extra built in field hands. 
Um, her parents were um, Abe and Gertrude Douglas. Um, they were Baptist sharecroppers. Um, she was known, she didn't like the name Lizzie. Um, I wouldn't either. Uh, to me, Lizzie, I think of Lizzie Borden, but <laughs> but um, she didn't like her name as Lizzie. So everybody, her family start calling her a kid. So that that was her nickname. Her family and friends called her the you know kid, um, not Billy the kid, but the kid, her kid. In 1904, the Douglas family moved out of um, the Mississippi area. I mean, I'm sorry, the Louisiana area into the uh, Mississippi area, which was um, Walls, Mississippi. And Walls, Mississippi is about 10 to 15 miles south from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, at 10 years old, um, for her birthday, her parents gave her, um, bought her a um, banjo, and that was her start of music. So she started to teach herself how to play the banjo um, at the age of uh, 10. When she became an um, adolescent, like in her early 12, 13 years old, she left home and started playing, um, wandered off in, into like uh, Beale Street. So she wasn't that far from Bill Street from, you know, um, living in um, Walls, Mississippi. She would sneak off and um, go down to Bill Street and started uh, playing, you know, in, in uh, with trying to get into a lot of these uh, venues that were popular back then, even though she was 13 years old. Um you know, she started getting pretty good at, at her playing. So she was actually able to um, work um, at local parties. She would play for birthday parties for, you know, little neighborhood um, events, little, you know, picnics and such like that. So um, she, you know, became good, you know, and was good enough to play at these, you know, little particular events like most of them did, you know, how, you know, how it starts. You know, you got to start, you got to start local first before you start moving on to bigger things. So Miss Lizzie or the kid, um, she decided to run away and join the circus. She literally left home and joined the circus. So she joined, this was around, um, what, 1910. She, um, dubbed herself as Kid Douglas. That was her little stage name and she joined the Ringling Brothers. So she started touring and, and performing with them for a while. And um, it was there that she just, you know, started honing in on her craft. And <clears throat> through practicing, um, Lizzie had her, her voice was very, she had a strong voice. Um, it had that Southern style to it and her unique way of playing the guitar, it, you know, worked well with her voice. So she still had that bluesy, almost down in the Delta type style of, of playing. Um, so, you know, that, you know, that was entertaining and that, you know, that went well with her, her playing. Um, she toured with the Ringling Brothers for a while, you know, she got tired of it and she returned back to, um, 
Beale Street. And it was there that she met her first husband, um, who was also a blues artist. His name was Casey Bill Weldon. Um, Casey was part of the Memphis Jug Band. And if you recall last week when I was talking about Sleepy John Estes, um, he about the Jug Band that was very popular in the 20s. Well, Casey Weldon was part of that, the Memphis Jug Band. So they got together and um, once, once they got married, they got together and started um, writing their own music and performing throughout the South. Um, their marriage didn't last long. I don't know what happened. I mean, I think they were only married for like a couple of years um, and it was, you know, they quickly divorced. But it wasn't long after that that um, Lizzie met um, Kansas Joe McCoy, who was her second husband. And it was that marriage, the second marriage, where she became actually started becoming famous because they actually collaborated well together. He had a type of a strong voice, a booming, um, deep voice. And, and with her way of playing, and he also played the guitar and her her voice, I mean, it the the collaboration was went well. Matter of fact, this was um between with those two, they wrote the song, the um her famous song um Bumblebee. Um I don't, you know, this is way before my time, but if you look listen to it on you can look it up on YouTube and um hear her play, you know, the song Bumblebee. That was her first breakout song. So it was around um, 1929 when she and Kansas Joe, her second husband, were approached by Columbia Records to um, record. Um, you know, as always, um, the uh, recording um, recording companies from the north, usually around Chicago or New York, they would send scouts down south to um, scout around and look for talent in, in the deep south. And that's how they, um, Columbia Records, um, met up with Memphis Minnie and, and her husband. And from there, uh, in 1930, they decided to leave Memphis and move up to Chicago. And on the song um, Bumblebee, it was Columbia Records who actually gave her the name Memphis Minnie. So she was no longer Lizzie Douglas, no longer Kid Douglas. So she is now Memphis Minnie. So, so they moved to um, Chicago, as I said, and they became pretty much getting well known into the, you know, in the haunts that usually when people from the South will come up in Chicago to play. So they were able to perform in a lot of those um, venues and they um, collaborated and made another song called um, When the Levee Breaks. And then if you, I listened to it earlier today and it is an interesting song. Uh, it, it was, it is a good collaboration between she and um, Kansas Joe. Uh, Joe sang lead in the song. Actually, he sang anyway. She didn't sing, she could, but you could hear her guitar playing. So she was the um, background to his singing. And so you, you can hear her talent. She was very talented in, in playing. 
So um, while living in um, Chicago, as I said, um, their music started to, you know, gain momentum between the 30s and the 40s. Although, as um, you know, while they were recording, it kind of declined because uh, that was during the, the early, I would say like the 20s, right when they first moved into Chicago. Um, although they were recording and, and making music, the sales of the record of her, their records weren't as great because it was during the depression. So many people couldn't afford to, um, you know, purchase any type of, um, you know, music because of the depression. So that kind of um, mess, you know, kind of uh, created a hardship between them economically because, you know, they couldn't live, too much off of anything. And as always, that we all know that they, you know, a lot of these artists weren't getting paid much anyway. It was always the uh, record companies. So, you know, after a while, they became disillusioned and um, returned back to um, down south. Um, when, um, before they moved down south, I, I, once again, she, and her second husband, they had problems. I don't, I don't know what happened. Their marriage didn't last long, and um, she, um, they divorced. And I think it said the last song that they um, recorded together was called "Moaning the Blues." And I guess in that song, you can pretty much hear the uh, that you can tell that something was really going on between them because of that song. So. It wasn't too long after that. I mean, they split up and he actually, Kansas Joe actually hooked up with her, his younger brother, and they uh, started performing. Um, they went on to call themselves the Harlem Hamfats, H-A-M-F-A-T-S. Don't know what that is or <laughs> what that means, but um, Kansas Joe and his little brother, became that that group okay in the meantime Memphis Minnie she did uh went on to collaborate with other artists such as um ironically another artist called Bumblebee Slim um Black Bob Hudson Blind John J uh Davis and Ernest Little Joe Son Lawlers now Little Joe um Lawlers became husband number three. So this was Minnie's first, uh, third and last husband. And um, they uh, started a new collaboration of music together. And out of that collaboration, they um, made the song um, Hoodoo Lady. And I did listen to that earlier too. I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that, um, that song Hoodoo Lady by her. And other songs were Me and My Show for Blues. And it was around um, 1941 that uh, she did something different. This is what this was, this is what was new um, unique about Memphis Minnie. Memphis Minnie was the actual first 
guitar artists that actually start playing electric guitar. Everybody thinks thought that Muddy Waters was the one who introduced um, electric guitar playing, which he was one of the first, but Memphis Minnie was the actual one. She did it a year before um, Muddy Waters did. So she's the one that brought in, um, start playing the acoustics or well, the electric guitar. So, and she was a female. So that, that was interesting. And also she was the first artist that incorporated an actual um, band. Like she used the electric guitar. She had a bass player. She had a piano player and she had drums in her band. So, you know, that was something different that wasn't never um, done before, but particularly definitely down in, not down in the South, the Southern artists they weren't doing that. You know, so it was she and Muddy Waters who incorporated that style of uh, blues. So um, she was able to also work with um, other artists like Sonny Lange Slim, um, Roosevelt Sykes. And her, you know, lyrics were somewhat um, suggestive. She had a lot of um, subject matters that she would talk about in her music, um, matters such as crime some um, sexual content, some about voodoo, um, things that were going on that she knew about in her lifetime and in her travels. So she would write a, um, she would write a music about it. Memphis Minnie was also, she wasn't no uh, meek and mild um, woman. I mean, she held her own with the best of them, said she was a gambler she used, and she was a drinker. Um, she would uh, party with, I mean, I guess, it, you know, it's hard as a female being in a male dominant um, industry, but she did hold her own. And um, oftentimes it says she would, um, you know, they would compete and she would compete along with her male counterparts. And a lot of times it wouldn't be, you know, perform for uh, money. Um, usually it would, they would perform in, in, in competition for a bottle of whiskey, which she would always, you know, a lot of times she would win. <laughs> so she, she was, you know, hardcore. She was definitely hardcore. Um, by 1955, though, things started to kind of decline for her. She, her health was starting to fail. Um, so she had to come off the road and stop touring. She and her husband, Little Joe, um, returned to Memphis and they were pretty much broke. They didn't have any money. Um, in 1960, she suffered a stroke. And then in 61, Little Joe passed away. So, you know, they both, you know, all the songs that they've recorded while they were in um, Chicago, they didn't get, they didn't reap the benefits of that. And, you know, again, that goes back to being a taken advantage, of, especially the African, early um, African-American um, uh, artists. They were just, you know, being taken care of. I mean, they were being, you know, taken advantage of, you know, they weren't paid um, like they should be. So she came, I mean, they came back 
penniless. Not long after her last husband passed away, she suffered another stroke. She had another stroke. This time, the stroke debilitated her to where she was confined to a wheelchair. And um, one of her sisters had to take care of her. So she wasn't able to perform or do anything. Um, she did for a little bit um, mentor the up and coming new um, musicians that were, you know, up and coming. Um, one of the best advice that she did tell them, she said, you can um, play anything you want. Just don't let them, them, them mean the recording um, companies take your money. Don't let them take your money because, you know, that's exactly what they're known for. You know, they'll record you and and do all of, you know, pump you up. But then <laughs> you don't reap the benefits from it. So she, um, you know, became destitute to where her Social Security wasn't enough to pay the bills, especially for her care. So she had to be put into a nursing home and somehow um, fans found out about it and other musicians. So they they jumped in and helped. They, they would send money, you know, to help pay for her um, for her care. So there were people who did care about her and didn't, you know, didn't forget her in, in, in her music contribution. They did. Um, help pay for her, you know, care. She just, I mean, she was in the wheelchair for the following next, for the rest of her life. She was in the nursing home. Um, in um, August 6th of 1973, at the age of 86, Lizzie Douglas Memphis Minnie passed away. Um, she was passed away in, in the nursing home. And um, she was buried in an unmarked grave at the uh, New Hope Cemetery in uh, Memphis. And it wasn't until years later that the uh, blues singer, female singer, um, Bonnie Raitt, um, bought and paid for a monument for her grave. And um, so she now do, do have a monument, a headstone at her grave site. Um, she was one of the ones, another unsung, um, unsung hero, unsung um, artist that just didn't get her dues when she was um, um, alive. And, and it's sad that, you know, all the work that you've contributed um, and, you know, you don't have nothing to show for it. And I, I totally agree. <laughs> Auntie, you know, it's so sad how black artists have been taken advantage of. And, you know, and, and they were. And it was like, you know, they're just so glad to, I guess a lot of them, you know, they were just so glad to get out of those cotton fields. They they would do anything. And then they had the talent, but they weren't paid, you know, they're just due. They just wasn't, and a lot of them didn't have the um the intellectual, the ability, the business mind, I shouldn't say intellectual, the business mind to, you know, demand what they were, that they were so deserving of. I love Bonnie Ray too. 
I, I love her. I, I love her music. Um, so, uh, and I'm glad that, you know, she, I think she was, I think Memphis Minnie was a big influence on Bonnie Ray. So, and, and a lot of the um, newer um, female artists that are later on, um, a lot of their influence came from Memphis Minnie. So Memphis Minnie was a very attractive woman. Um, you see a picture of her, um, very attractive. Um, but again, just died penniless, died alone, really. I mean, and, and she contributes so much to the um, blues industry. So, but, you know, again, this is why I want to, you know, pay homage to these artists because they, they deserve their, um, their just due. Um, she was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. She was one of the first 20 of the blues artists that were inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in um, 1980. Um, Ray Charles knew, Ray Charles knew Memphis Minnie. Is that what you're saying, um, Auntie? Um, the a lot of these um, artists, as I've like I've said, I think I've said it last week. A lot of these artists, I you know, listening to a lot of these the songs and listening to their music, listening to their style of music. Um, you can you can almost feel it. You could it puts yourself it puts yourself back in those times of what they were dealing with. Oh, about his masters and not to sell them. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's one of the few smart ones. Ray Charles, one of the few smart ones that actually, you know, um had his masters and and it, it, and not to sell them. So, I mean, yeah, you know, whatever you do as an artist, you have to take control of your, of your music, because if you don't, the recording company will, <laughs> they will, and you will have to fight for your name. You have to fight for your, you know, you have to copyright. I mean, it, it's just so, it is so cutthroat. You know, the music industry is nothing to, you know, brag about. You think artists are, performers are rich. They actually not. Who are getting paid are are the actual the songwriters, the producers, the the um the recording, the um record companies. They're the ones that are getting rich. It's not the performers themselves. So don't think that you know, all these performers they're, you know, living large and all that. Um, they're not. <laughs> they're really not. So. You know, I this is why I I don't think I could have done it. Even though, you know, I come from a um musically inclined family. You know, and, and you know, as younger, I, I did think about I know my cousin and I cousins and I we always used to talk about, you know, being famous and um writing our own music and all that. But you know, you you look at how many people have been ripped off. It, it it's just it's sickening. It really is. But anyway, um, like I was saying, I wanted to 
pay homage to to these artists and, and listening to their songs and listening to their stories. I mean, it really, really um, appreciate. Um, it, it, I, I really appreciate what they had to go through. Uh, and they went through a lot. They went through a lot. And, you know, I can't imagine coming up from the South, um, touring in the South and, and, <laughs> just trying to, you know, survive, let alone, you know, entertain and, and, and survive. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that I, I pay homage to them. All right. Um, anybody else? I, I'm glad I have some people on. I appreciate you guys listening. Next week would be my last episode for the uh, blues genre. I'm going to go into the jazz in the next season. I'm going to talk about some jazz, early jazz artists. Um, next week, I decided to, for my last, uh, for my last episode, episode 12, 12, I'm going to talk about this guy named Big Joe Turner. Now he's different. He was one of those, uh, I am burning up because of the light. Um, he was one of these uh, big uh, the blues artists that uh, his his style of music with with uh, along with um, Roosevelt Sykes um, you would see them like on on movies like um, I don't know there's their their songs their their playing was not like the country down home country twain type blues. These were, this was more of a, um, I would say Broadway. I don't want to say show, show, showtime or showstopper type. You know, they played actually in um, really nice um, venues. I'm trying to think of some old movies that would remind me of the old entertainment movie, like something like what Lena Horne and, and Dorothy Dandridge, that type of style of, genre of where they would play. So this is what Big Joe Turner, they would have this big orchestra band and he would play, that's the type of genre or venue. It was blues, but it was the type, this type of blues that was played in those type of um, uh, places. So I thought I'd go out and do a uh, a switch from coming off the coming out of the Delta, coming out of um, Memphis, and go up towards St. Louis, and um, do some St. Louis style blues, and um, and that would be like uh, artists like Big Joe Turner. So that'll be next week. So thank you guys. Any music? Yeah, like musicals, right? Yeah, you yeah you know what I mean, like musicals and. Um, like Lena Horn and you know those type of movies, old move, movies like that. So that th that's the type of um, style of, of. But I mean, what he's played, it, it was more of it, it was blues, but it was a more up tempo blues. If you you know get a chance, look him up, and you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so, all right. So I look forward to talking with you guys next week. Now, um, like I said, I'm going to probably take a two weeks break in between before I go into season number two. And if any jazz artists that anybody is interested in wanting me to um, uh, talk about, 
as far as their biography, let me know. I want to, you know, go beyond the the ones that we all know, like um, uh, Billie Holiday, and you know, I want to I want to go to people that are lesser known that but has just as much impact in 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 the in the music business them you know but this again just didn't get their just dues so i'm not going to do anybody like billy holiday or uh who else um count basie and you know Louis Armstrong, because I mean, we all know, we all know them. We all, you know, we love them and we know them, but I want to kind of do some lesser known um, artists. So if you know any lesser known artists that you would like me to do a biography on, just let me know. All right. So I love you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Um, Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the holiday. And Brenda, I love uh, the room that you that you posted online. Uh, I love that room. So I can't wait to um, the first family um, get together. So uh, wait for that invitation. <laughs> All right. So you guys have a good evening and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Sounds good.